So I want you to think back to your dinner table as a child. I want you to think back to some of the memories that you have there. What it was like growing up for your family. Maybe for you, it was a place of laughter. It was a place where people talked about their day. They, they shared stories about things that happened. Maybe for you, your dinner table was one of debates and arguments where your family was really loud Everybody was rambunctious, everybody was talking, and you kind of had to, you know, get your voice in there. You had to grab the food before it was all gone, kind of a thing. Maybe for you, your dinner table was silent. Your family just didn't talk, it was just silence. Maybe you, maybe you ate dinner in front of the TV, so you really didn't eat dinner as a family together. You just kind of plopped down in front of the TV. Or maybe, maybe your family was really busy, and most of the time dinner was just in a car, you got up from a teenager through a window, and that was just dinner, just rushing off to the next thing. But the thing is, the reality is, is that food and sitting around a table is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Some of the, the greatest conversations and the greatest moments that you've had with friends and family have been around a table. It's incredibly powerful. Growing up at, at your table, you learned whether or not Anybody cared about your day? You learned that. That message was told to you by how the conversation went. You learned which topics were off limits. You learned which things in your family you just did not talk about. And you learned whether or not your family was safe to share things. Maybe you went to a friend's house and sat at dinner and had a drastically different experience from the family that you grew up in. You learned important habits about food and health. Maybe you grew up in a family where, you know, your mom was always saying, watch what you eat, watch what you eat. Or maybe you grew up in a family where you just didn't have leftovers, so you just ate everything on the table. But we learn things at the table. Meals are incredibly powerful. They're incredibly powerful. They're incredibly powerful when it comes to community. They're incredibly powerful to relationships. Relationships grow deep around the table, around food. Every party you've been to has food, right? The greatest parties. I mean, who wants to go to a picnic without food? Right? I mean, I got invited to a, to a picnic it's from three to five, and Katie said, well, that just means they're not feeding anybody. I'm like, I don't know if I want to go. Because <laughs> food is something that brings us together. It's an enormous part of community and it's an enormous part of our lives. And food is an enormous part of our spiritual rhythms and how we connect with God, each other, and ourselves. The table, food, was an enormous part of Jesus' life. Now, for me, here's one of the things I've learned about food. Food is also a way, sitting around a table is also a way that we learn how to be present with people, and enjoy things. One of the big switches that has happened in my life over the last several years is learning to just enjoy the moment of food and savoring. Like, have you ever eaten with somebody? I had a good friend in Tucson, and we would have him over for dinner, and he would take a bite of whatever we made, and he would just go, mm, mm. And at first, it was kind of annoying. At first, I was just like, okay, great. Like, I'm glad you enjoyed this, like, 
You know, he's a single guy, so I'm, like maybe he just made everything in a microwave. I don't know, but like he just, like he moaned through all the, the meal. And, but then over time, I started to realize he's savoring this. Like he's enjoying this. And I felt really bad all of a sudden because I thought, I just, I don't really enjoy this moment. I don't really enjoy, like I just quick make stuff. I, I don't really enjoy and savor this dessert. I don't savor this moment. See, food is something that God has given to us with relationships to enjoy and see as a good gift. That's the power of the table. And one of the things, too, that I've learned with food and sitting around a table is that it's also an opportunity for us to learn to appreciate and thank God for his good gifts. See, here's one of the things we're really good at. We're really good at asking God for things. We're not quite as good at saying thank you. We're not quite as good as receiving the gift from God. Like, think for a moment. The last meal that you had, the last dessert that you had, did you sit there and think, this is a gift from God? Did you savor it that way? Most of us don't. We just, we just kind of blindly run through food. We just go through that moment. We just go, I'm hungry. Okay, I'm going to get this. If I don't hurry up and get this, I'm going to be a drastically different person in this next five minutes. But food is a gift from God. Sitting around the table with people is a gift from God. And so in this series, we've been spending the summer looking at different spiritual rhythms. And one of my favorite rhythms is food and feasting. And in this rhythm, as we have been looking at every single rhythm, we have been looking at the ways that God forms us. And one of the most powerful ways that God forms us is around the table, is around the table with friends and family. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at fasting. Now, fasting... Whether or not you have a church background, we understand the idea of fasting. We understand the idea of withholding. We understand the idea of not overindulging. We understand the idea of taking away. We understand the idea of discomfort. And we think, yes, that sounds spiritual. It should be hard. It should be difficult. I shouldn't like it. That, that's what makes it spiritual. But then when it comes to feasting, we think, well, God can't want me to have fun. Like, God can't be into me throwing parties. Is it, I mean, is it too much to make all that food? And here's the thing that I've learned. If we view God that way, we actually miss an enormous part of God's gift to us. God's gifts to us are part of, yes, fasting, withholding, and as we saw last week, God's gift to us is also adversity, but also God's gift to us is joy and enjoying, savoring, slowing down, taking in. These are also God's gifts to us. And if we only view God as a God that is about withholding or a God that is like keeping us from something, we will miss out on so much of God and so much of what he has for us. And feasting is a big part of that. Now, think for a moment, why don't we talk about feasting? We talk about fasting, we talk about other things. 
And I think the reason is that we tend to emphasize, overemphasize the idea of discipline over joy. We tend to overemphasize that. But yet feasting is all over the Bible. In fact, there are feasts all over the Old Testament. God has feasts for all kinds of different reasons. There are, there are feasts that, that end the Bible in an amazing feast. Jesus spent so much time in the Gospels at feasts and parties. In fact, his first miracle takes place at a party, takes place at a wedding. And so here's a question for you as we start this, this idea of feasting. Do you see God as a God who wants you to enjoy things? Do you see God as that? Or do you see God as somebody who wants to keep things from you? Do you see God as a God who wants you to enjoy things? Because don't miss this, how we see God often determines how we experience God. See, and as we think about spiritual rhythms, many times we think of them as, as drudgery or things I have to do or things I need to add to my life. And yet, these are the moments. The spiritual rhythms that we've walked through are the moments where God meets some of our deepest needs. Pastor John Stark is a pastor in Manhattan, and he said that the Bible entices its readers with visions of feasts and suppers more than instructions about fasting. Did you know that? There's more in the Bible about food and feasts than fasting. Now imagine this. Imagine if instead of 40 days of fasting through Lent, we did 40 days of feasting. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, just imagine that for a moment. Now, if we did that, some of you would think, I can't be spiritual. And yet, there is more in the Bible about food and feasts than fasting. See, we wrongly assume that God is just wanting us to be somber and serious all the time. Because God is a God of joy. He has wired you and me to celebrate to long for celebration. Now, don't, don't miss this. We spent a whole week on fasting and a whole week on confession. Why? Those are very, very important parts of our spiritual rhythms. And just as they are part of that, so is feasting. Jesus spent a ton of time at feasts. One New Testament scholar said this. He said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's how much time he spent at a meal. Luke overemphasizes this in his gospel. So much so that Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, continually accused him of what? Being a glutton and a drunkard. Saying, you know, you just eat and drink all the time with people. In fact, Luke records this in Luke 5. We read this a few minutes ago. This is what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Now, this, this has always blown me away whenever we see this in the Gospels. When Jesus walks up to somebody, he says, hey, come and follow me, and they, just, and they just follow him. It's just amazing to me how people just drop everything to follow Jesus, but people knew things about Jesus. People knew j just how attractive he was, how fun he was. I mean, do you think of Jesus as fun? And Jesus is at all kinds of parties. I mean, growing up, like, growing up and going to church in a Christian high school, like, I didn't think Jesus was fun. You know, I was like, man, Jesus is trying to keep me from fun. And yet, Jesus invites Levi to follow him, and what does Levi do? He follows him and then throws a party. Verse 29, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. A grand banquet. 
Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with him, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. See, for Jesus, meals are significant. They're significant. They embody God's grace, and they show us God's mission. Okay, meals are significant. They embody God's grace, and they show us God's mission. But here's the thing about this whole scene. Jesus is eating with tax collectors. He's eating with the people that, according to the Jewish leaders, you're not supposed to spend time with. See, tax collectors were traitors to their country. They collaborated with the Romans. They defiled God's land in the opinion of the Pharisees. I mean, they were some of the lowest sinners. Look at how, do you notice they say, you eat with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were an entirely different category of sinning. Let me ask you this. Has anyone accused you, follower of Jesus, of spending too much time with sinners? Has anybody said, man, you just, you spend a lot of time with sinners. Are you one of them? Like, when was the last time you had somebody who would fit into the tax collector sinner category sit at your table? When was the last time they invited you to theirs? Like, if your friends who don't know Jesus throw a party, do they think, you know, I need to invite that one friend that goes to church? See, because when the tax collectors and sinners threw parties, they invited Jesus. And too much of our time, the reason that food does not embody the mission of God in our lives is because we don't eat with people who don't know Jesus. And so, there should be a, a time in our lives as a follower of Jesus that people look at us and say, man, you spent a lot of time with those people who are sinners. See, food, meals, the table, part of its power is that it embodies the mission of God. And Jesus went on a mission every time he ate. He just didn't show up and, and just eat and be a passive participant. And notice, too, that the Pharisees, like us many times, do not see the power of the table. See, what do they say? Well, Jesus, you know, John's disciples fast all the time. This is the really spiritual thing, fasting, withholding. And Jesus says, yeah, but this can be too. Yeah, but John's disciples and the Pharisees, I mean, they're fasting all the time, Jesus. See, it is so easy for us to create these two categories of this is the holy thing and this is the unholy thing. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Feasting, food, the table, it's part of the mission of God, just like fasting. 
See, and we need to reorient our minds about it. See, I'm gonna get to in a moment, feasting is an incredible way that not only do we enjoy God, but we fulfill the mission of God. Okay, for Jesus, don't miss this, feasting was not just about enjoyment, but it is also one of the ways that he fulfilled the mission of God. See, because Jesus ate with tax collectors, this is one of the things you see throughout the gospels that they said, well, he can't be from God if he's eating with these sinners. He can't be like that because God wouldn't sit down at a table with them. And yet he did. And all throughout scripture, all throughout scripture, we see a God who created feasts. You go through the Old Testament and each feast is set up to remind the children of God of something. Each feast is set up to remind them of something. Do you know one of the most common things in scripture is to remember? Over and over, we're told to remember. This feast is to remember this. This feast is to remember that. They created monuments so that when they walked by, they would remember. In Deuteronomy, God tells the nation of Israel, post this on your door so you remember. Teach your kids so they remember. Right, when, when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, he takes the Passover and he says, this is communion, this is this meal. It was a whole meal in the New Testament, an entire meal. And throughout the New Testament, in Acts 2, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 11, we're told that whenever we gather as the church, we're to do what? Take communion. Whenever we gather, we are to eat. Every time we gather. So as I mentioned earlier, one of the things we're gonna start doing this week is doing communion together each week. And each week it'll look a little bit different. There will be weeks where we'll take it all together. There will be weeks where you take it on your own. There will be weeks that we'll do it before the sermon to, to set it up, to prepare our hearts for what we're gonna hear. And then there will be weeks like today where we're gonna do it as a response to the sermon. We're gonna have tables up front here and ask you to come forward and get it and take it back to your seat today. And you can take it whenever you're ready. And here's something I would encourage you to do. If you're married, if you have family, is to take communion together on those weeks, to come up, get it together and go off to the side and pray together and take it together. Maybe you do it as a community group. Maybe you do it as a small group of students. Maybe you do it as a group of friends. But to just stop and remember. See, when we eat together, when we do communion together, we're doing a few different things. One, we're remembering what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. We're being present in this moment. But then we're also preparing for the ultimate feast of the Lamb when Jesus returns. One day, heaven, every time we sit around the table, do you know what we're doing? We are preparing for eternity's feast. Every single time. We are preparing for eternity's feast. We're not just eating, but we are practicing and preparing. See, meals, food, for families, for communities, communion, they are central to the mission of Jesus. They embody and they enact the grace of God. They are central to the mission of Jesus. This is why I would encourage you, for your community group, I'd encourage you to eat together. Something powerful happens when you eat together. Something powerful happens. There are conversations that happen over a table that don't happen in other places. 
Have you noticed that people tend to be, a, a, you know, talk a little bit more over food? Did you ever notice this? Very rarely do we go to a dinner party and we're just like, man, like it was really hard to get people to start talking. But how many times have we sat in community groups and been like, you know what, man, like we just kind of like drudged through those questions today. There's something about food that brings us together. And part of that is, part of that feeling is we are told in the New Testament that one of the things that the church is to be known for and known as is a family. What do families do? They eat together. Sometimes it's a magnificent feast on a holiday, and sometimes it is just, we are just doing leftovers because we get paid tomorrow. And it's family, eating together. But Jesus says this, this is how we know it's not just about food, but it's about embodying and enacting the grace of God. He says in verse 31, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus says that meals are a crucial part of the mission of God, of reaching people for Jesus. Meals are a crucial part of that. Crucial part of that. And this is why, we we know this, we know how powerful meals meals are. This is why when you have a, a group of friends eat together, what do you say when you're done? We should do this what? More often. And then you don't. And a month passes and three months pass and you just think, man, has it been that long since we had dinner? Yeah, it was before COVID that we had dinner together. It was, it's been years. Right, this is why, like, I don't know about you, but I, I love those pictures of, like, people sitting at a long table in a vineyard, like, outside, you know, and beautiful lights hanging over back, backyards, people eating together, just, like, long meals. I love those pictures. Why? Because there's something that longs within us to sit at that table. There's something that in us Whether you like to cook or not, you may go, man, I just really don't like to cook, but man, I would sit at that table and eat whatever they are making. But some of us, if you love to cook, like for me, I love to just prepare, you know, something on my smoker and and to watch people's faces. And then I feel really bad when people are like, do you have any A1? And I'm like, no, no, we don't. (laughs) Don't ruin it. (laughs) But I love to prepare that for people. It's just a gift to them. And in that, in those moments of sitting around a table, we also experience something that we so deeply long for, and that is presence. One of my mentors says this all the time. He says, the best thing you can bring to someone is your transformed and transforming presence. And we feel this, and we feel it not there at a table. Because you know when you're sitting with somebody and they're not really there. And you know when you're sitting there and they're really there and they're tracking. And there is something that changes in that moment, that presence. See, this idea for Katie and I, this idea of presence and the table became such a big deal for us that over 10 years ago when we created our family mission statement and our five core values as a family, one of them is hospitality that we wanted when people came into our house, that we wanted them to feel loved, we wanted them to feel known, and we wanted them to feel like they had a place to sit. 
no matter where they were in their spiritual journey, no matter where they were in their stories, we wanted everyone to feel like they had a space to sit. And so for us, this began a practice, I'm gonna share a little bit more about this, of doing a weekly feast. Now, before I kind of get into some of the details of it, here are some warnings. The first one is this, is that the spiritual practice of feasting is not about overindulging. It's not about eating or drinking too much. It is about enjoying God's gifts of food and people. It is about enjoying. It is about savoring. See, the Bible warns against gluttony, which is a sin we don't talk enough about. But God wants us to enjoy. See, and the second thing is this. Feasting is not just for families. Feasting is not just for families. It's something you can do as a community group. It's something you can do as a group of friends, as a couple. And on your Connect card, if you check the Next Step email box, we're gonna send to you a few things to help you plan a feast. So here's some ideas to plan a feast. The first one is just plan it. Put it on the calendar. As simple as this sounds, decide when you're gonna do it, who's gonna be there, what you're gonna listen to. I mean, one of the things that we did is we, we, bought a, we bought a record player and records so that on our feast nights, we slow down, we don't have our phones, which I'll get to in a moment, and we just listen to records. And it's one of the things that our kids pick out records and it's just part of this rhythm for us of slowing down. And it helps us to be present. Because then when you pull out records, you know, and, and you know, maybe you have this discussion in your family, like whose music are we gonna listen to tonight? You know, oh, do you remember this, this song? And, you, you know, and then you start to tell stories. You start to laugh. You start to remember things. But plan it. What are you gonna eat? And you can, yes, you can do a feast with takeout. You don't need to cook to do a feast. You can do a feast from somebody else's kitchen. That's totally fine. But one of the things that we do to, to help kind of ground it is we do a, a couple things. One is we light candles on our table and we do that to remind us that Jesus is with us in this moment. The candles represent the light of the world. They remind us that Jesus is with us in this moment. The other thing that, it, that we do is we make a big cookie and we just savor dessert together. The other thing that I would say about technology is don't have your phone at the table. Sherry Turkle, who is a professor at MIT, said that every time you check your phone in company, you gain a hit of stimulation, a neurochemical shot, and what you lose is what a friend, teacher, parent, lover, or coworker just said, meant, or felt. Because you don't hear them anymore. Have a box where people stick their phones in. And let me say this, we, we have a rule at our house. I don't know if you do or not, we have a rule at our house that you just don't have phones at the table. Even when our kids have friends over, they don't bring their phones to the table. If they do, we make a really big deal about it. But it was interesting, a few years ago I read a study, they asked teenagers why they bring their phones to the table. Do you know the number one answer teenagers gave? Because their parents did. That was the number one answer. When they asked those same teenagers, what is the one thing that you wish was different about your relationship with your parents? Do you know the number one answer? That their parents would look at their phone less. Now I know. I, I have four teenagers, and I know if you're a parent, you're thinking, yeah, you know what, I wish my teenagers would look at their phone less. But think about it for a moment. How present are you in their life? And what does technology at your table communicate to the people at your table? Do you communicate that I'm here? Because every time we look at it, every time we pick it up, what we're communicating to the people sitting at the table, whether we know it or not, is there's something or someone 
more important than you. And so set it aside. I think you should have an hour each day where, you just, where you're not on your phone, where you don't have it. Just detox your, your soul. Sit at the table. And, and don't miss this. I, one day I may do an entire, I'm thinking about doing an entire series on technology because of this. Technology is not neutral. It is not neutral in your life. It is not neutral in your relationships. And so I'd encourage you, make a rule on it, set it aside. And then as you think about this feast, plan it, schedule it. How, when are you gonna do it? What day of the week are you gonna do it? For us, we do it on Sunday nights. Sometimes it's just us as a family. Sometimes we have other people there. I'd encourage you to use conversation cards because maybe you're thinking, I don't know what we're gonna talk about. Use cards like, what was your favorite toy as a kid? You know, which person here at this table is most likely to break a world record and why? Which person at this table is most likely to break a law? That's a really fun question. Maybe you list out what you're grateful for. Go around the table and just share things you're grateful for from this past week. And let me encourage you this. When it comes to embodying the mission of God, I wanna encourage you on a regular basis, have people sit at your table who don't follow Jesus. Invite them into your family. I remember years ago, we, we began this relationship with a couple named Sean and Karen. They own the gym that we went to in Tucson. And as we started to have a weekly feast, we started to invite Sean and Karen. They came to our house at least once a month. And the very first time we sat down, you know, we always pray before our meal. We sat down and Sean just started eating. You know, and, and, and I didn't say anything, I didn't make a big deal. You know, it's kind of, because at times you think, especially as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, you're like, I don't wanna make this weird. I want you to come back, like, you know. And so we just sat down, everybody sat down and I said, all right, let's, let's just pray. Sean stopped. Second time he came, he sits down at the table and he just waits. And then as we go around the table and we're doing conversation cards and we're sharing things that, you know, we saw God do in this past week, ways of just celebrating God's goodness in our life, we just said, hey, Sean and Karen, have you guys seen anything cool happen this week? Like anything that would be fun for us to celebrate? And notice we didn't say, hey, did you see God move in your life? You know, we just said, hey, like this is what we're talking about. Like we're talking about like cool things that happen. Is there anything we can celebrate? And we just invited them into the practice. Just made a part of it. What did Jesus do? He's sitting with tax collectors and sinners. He's just inviting them into the practice. So much so that they enjoyed him so much that they said, hey, when we do this again, will you come? Will you come again, Jesus? So it doesn't have to be weird. But yet, one of the things that Sean told me before we moved here, is he said, man, I just always felt at home at your table. And that's the mission of God. Because one of the things that we see in the Gospels, one of the things that we see that is so central to the mission of God is that he gives us a home. He gives us a family. And so have people at your table who don't follow Jesus. And remember, 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 when you sit down, you're not just celebrating what God has done. You're not just being present in this moment, but you are practicing for eternity. You are practicing for the feast of the lamb. That's the same thing that happens when we do communion. As a follower of Jesus, when we come to the table of communion, we're pausing in our week and we're looking back and we're remembering God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness for us. We're remembering how broken that we were apart from God, how much in need we were as a sinner. We're remembering that. And we're being present in this moment with each other. 
We're being present as we remind ourselves of just our need for God. But in communion, we are also preparing for a feast. We are also preparing for the day where there are no more tears, where there are no more brokenness and sadness and mourning, where there is only joy and gifts. That's what we do at the feast. That's what we do at the table. That's what we do at communion. And so we're gonna practice as a church in taking communion together. But I wanna encourage you, go home today Plan a feast. Plan a feast to practice. Practice the presence of God and practice for eternity. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you in your goodness give us gifts. You give us, you give us the gift of food, the gift of people, the gift of a table. You give it to enjoy you. God, I thank you for all the feasts throughout Scripture. All the feasts that remind us of your presence, of your goodness, of your provision, of your forgiveness, of your grace, of your power, on and on and on. All these feasts represent different things. And God, I thank you for the power of communion, the power to remind ourselves as your followers that you came and rescued us. And so, God, I pray that we would be a church, we would be a people that celebrate, that people who interact with us, who come into our homes, would would feel the presence of celebration, the presence of enjoyment. God, that our tables would be opened, that people would have spaces to sit in your name. Well, as we respond and take communion together, I wanna encourage you to come down these aisles and go around this side. At each of the tables, there are uh, bread that you can pick up if you feel comfortable. If you don't, we have prepackaged communion that you can pick up. On this table over here, uh, to my right, there are some gluten-free bread options. So you can pick those up if, if you have a dietary need. But I wanna encourage you, when you're ready, as the band leads us through a couple of songs, you can get up out of your seat at any point over these next few moments and take communion back to your seat and take it whenever you're ready on your own and then we'll just worship together and remind ourselves of God's goodness through the power of the table.